Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? It's a great day, amen? I said it's a great day because this is the day that the Lord has made, and so we will rejoice and we'll be glad in it, amen. You know, uh, my wife texted me last night, said Team Spain arrived in Madrid, 7.30 a.m. their time, and uh, they immediately got off the plane and raced to a church service and uh, later that, that evening also went to another church service. So they, they're just hitting the ground, running. And I think my wife is actually still working through a little uh, forgiveness and a little inner healing from the fact that um, the Turkey Bowl got more shout outs than AGM during AC celebration. I know he says yes. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a great time to get together. Hey, can we throw the Antioch identity statement and some of you guys are calling this the identity, the Antioch Creed up there. Uh, for those of you guys who are with us today for the first time, I want to welcome you guys. My name is Jay Duncan. And two weeks ago, we had an outstanding time of celebration as a house. It was our two-year birthday, our two-year anniversary. Now, the church has been in existence for over 20 years, but we named the church Antioch two years ago. And so it was an awesome time for us to stop and reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness of God to us as a people because he has walked us through quite a bit. Last week, I had the great opportunity to be in San Francisco with our KMI family network. And one of the nights during worship, uh, this statement just dropped into my spirit on the heels of all of the things that were coming out of you during the Antioch celebration through the videos and through the live interviews and through uh, the written testimonies. And so this is not exhaustive. It will be something that we just continue to add to and bring texture to. But take a look at this. This is something that I think that just helps encapsulate a little bit about who we are and who we are becoming. It says, Antioch Church, we are a family of maturing sons and daughters. Can you guys agree with that? We are alive. Say, I'm alive. And victorious in the spirit. We are culturally involved, globally connected, and generationally invested. We are passionately devoted to Jesus, incarnating his truth and advancing his kingdom. That's who you are. That's who you are. Come on, clap your hands for that. That's who you are. That's who we are. That's who God has built us to be. How many of you guys can say, I agree with that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name today. We thank you that you are alive and that you are well here in this house and that we truly are a family of maturing sons and daughters. We thank you that every day is training day, that every day is an opportunity to interact with your spirit and interact with truth and interact with grace, with the Holy Spirit that enlarges us, that propels us, advances us, it moves us forward to take ground in the earth for the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you that we are alive in the spirit, that this is not a dead church. This is not a cold church. This is not an indifferent or a complacent or an apathetic church. We thank you that we are alive in your spirit and that your spirit is alive in us, that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in our mortal body and gives us life in our spirit Father, we thank you that we are globally connected and Lord, that we are culturally engaged and that we are generationally invested. We bless every family. We bless the old and the young. 
and everything in between here in this house. We honor the seniors and we cover the young in this place. Father, we thank you that you are increasing a devotion to Jesus, that you're awakening a first love for our king and for our groom and for our friend. And Father, we thank you that this day you have truth to inject into the very depths of our being that will change us to become more like you and to think like you think. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in the middle of a series called the Transformational Word of God, the Transforming Word of God. And we're actually using a book as a textbook. We're gonna, we're gonna push pause on being in this book because there's some things I wanna pull out of the Word that connect to a lot of different chapters. But if you've not gotten Life with God, the transformational power of God's word. If you've not gotten that book, we have them for sale at the Welcome Center. It's by Richard Foster. And I encourage you to get that book and walk with us as we are in the middle of this sermon series. If you have your Bibles today, turn with me if you would. We're gonna go to a couple of passages and we're gonna start with the book of John 15. We're gonna look at John 15. We're gonna read verses one through five and then verse eight and then verse 16 in the book of John. We're gonna go from John to Colossians chapter one, and then we're gonna jump from Colossians over to Matthew 13, which is where we're gonna just set up our base camp and hang out for the rest of the message this morning. John 15, beginning in verse one, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit he prunes or he clips or he purifies so that it will be even more fruitful. Just a thought, many of us are experiencing things that we're attributing to the enemy and many of us are experiencing things that we're chafing against when in reality it might actually be something that God is pruning within us to actually produce more fruit for him and for his kingdom. Not every challenge and every trial is a bad thing. Sometimes God will allow us to go through a narrow place or a tight place because he's actually clipping some things off in order for us to produce more fruit in our character, in our sonship and for the kingdom. Verse three, he says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So much in this. Remain in me, abide in me, dwell in me, make your home in me and I will remain in you because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It's impossible for you and I to bear fruit in our own strength, in our own willpower, in our own personality, in our own charisma, in our own education, in our own experience. We cannot bear fruit for the kingdom of God says, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man or woman remains, and the word here remain, meno, means to abide, to dwell. It means to make your home. It means to make your dwelling place. It means to reside deeply within who Jesus is. Stay close to him. Be in constant interaction with him. Draw your life and your source and your sustenance from him. It says, if you will do that, then you will bear much fruit. I like that. Much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Skip to verse eight, if you would. Verse eight says, this is to my father's 
glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. How many of you guys want to live to bring the Father glory? I know I do. And essentially, here's what Jesus is saying. This is how you bring the Father glory, is that you live your life in such a way that fruit is cultivated in your life and it grows organically from the activity and the presence of God's spirit and truth within you. And before you know it, fruit is just popping out of your life. The fruit of kindness, the fruit of boldness, the fruit of tenderness, the fruit of gentleness, patience, the fruit of wisdom, the fruit of understanding, all of those things that reflect the character and the nature of God are things that come from him, not from us. Now we have a participation with that process. But like we spoke about four weeks ago, we can labor, we can dig up the soil, we can sow the seed, but it is the supernatural, miraculous power of God that produces God-like qualities inside of us. Because I ain't no God-like qualities in me. I know that all too well. But this is how we bring the Father glory. We produce fruit. And in so doing, we show ourselves to be his disciples. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit. I appointed you. That's that's a commissioning term. There is an authority that is on your life by the Holy Spirit and the words of Jesus that actually release a supernatural power in your life in God to produce fruit. So take heart. There are some of you here this morning I know There are some of you here this morning that have been discouraged because you are not seeing the level of fruit, godly fruit, Christ-like, righteous fruit in your life that you want to see. I experience that on a regular basis. But God is saying rest because I have appointed you. I have released into your life a blessing and an authority that will work with you to produce godly fruit. So take heart, be encouraged. This is what this series is all about. Life with God is all about walking in his truth and character in such a degree that the fruit of God springs up from our life. That's what this series is all about. Continuing on in this verse, I appointed you to go and bear fruit and fruit that will Remain. Go with me to Colossians chapter one. Boy, it's good to be in the saddle again. Sometimes I get a little used to not preaching. <laughs> Somebody said, nope. We, we've had a, a phenomenal past three weeks with great Holy Spirit activity, great celebration and great guest ministers. Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse three says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Love this, watch this, look at verse five. The faith and love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of the truth the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and it is growing. 
All right. You know, as we talk about in this series, how we partner with God, how we participate with God to live life with him, how we interact with his word in such a way that it is producing life, not in a religious manner, not in just a routine manner, not just in an intellectual manner. How do we participate with God's word in a manner that produces the life and the love of God inside of us? Because the purpose of our life is to produce fruit. The purpose of the gospel is to produce fruit. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13, because before we go any further in this series, it is instrumental, it is critical that this, what Jesus lays out for us here in this parable, that understanding comes to our hearts and understanding comes to our minds. We will not be able to move forward in producing the life of God. We will not be able to move forward in understanding the wisdom of God's word without what we're gonna talk about today in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse one. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10, the disciples came and they asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. We're gonna stop right there. That's what Jesus says. As he quotes the reference there given in Isaiah, he is saying the reason why these people are not given access to deeper layers and deeper levels of understanding essentially is because their heart has become calloused. Other translations render that word, their heart has become dull. Their heart has become hardened. Their heart has become stubborn. Anybody here, by a show of hands, ever been in a season of your journey with Christ where you have become conscious of the fact that your heart had become hardened? Anybody here in the room? Yeah, me too. In fact, um, Pastor Scott, who'll be with us here next week, many times uh, as we have journeyed together now for 22 years of life and ministry and sonship and relationship together, one of the things that we do is we take inventory on each other's hearts. And one of the ways that we ask that is how tender is your heart still to Jesus? The reason why this is so important, as we will see as we continue to unpack this parable, is that everything in the Christian life rises and falls on the condition of our heart. 
Hard heart means that we will become less receptive or even unreceptive completely to everything that God has in store for us. If we look back at the first part of this parable, now what is a parable? A parable very simply is a story that has a point. It's a story that has a meaning. And so as Jesus is telling the story and a story that has meanings that are hidden within the story, he is explaining that in this story, there is a farmer and this farmer has seed and this, and this farmer goes out to sow the seed. Now, he breaks down four different types of soil that the seed falls on. Each of those types of soil represent types of our heart. As I've thought about this and now chewed and marinated and stewed on this particular passage for many, many weeks now, as I've read multiple commentaries and have interacted with this in different dialogues, I've come to understand, because I have thought, well, my heart is either one of those things or the other. And I found that just as in a field, that there are different types of soil within the same field, my heart can actually reflect all four of these conditions at the same time. Never thought about that before, never realized that. And so it's easy to dismiss because I can say, well, I don't have a hard heart. I don't have a calloused heart. I don't have a dull heart. Well, actually there are some areas of my heart that are calloused. There are some areas of my heart, and we're gonna focus on the hardened soil today. There are some areas of my heart that if I'm gonna be real honest with myself, that I really don't wanna hear what God has to say to me in that area. Let's read on Jesus's description and we'll put some of these things together because it says right here in verse 18, Jesus is explaining the parable and he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. So that's the qualifier there. The qualifier there is when we hear the word of God and we sit under the word, we read the word, we're in Bible study with the word, we're in discussion with the word, and there's something that happens that we do not understand. Now, I've always read this, and I thought, that's really not fair, Jesus. It's not fair that if I read something I don't understand it, that immediately the enemy's gonna come away and steal it until I dug deeper. And I read this in context, and I consulted the counsel of scholarly wisdom throughout the ages, and I discovered that it's not just an understanding that is lacking. Really, the nuance here is that when a person is unwilling to understand, that's all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. How many of you have interacted with a friend, a son, a spouse, a coworker, a somebody, and as you're sharing ideas, as you're sharing biblical perspective, as you're sharing truth, you can just see, you can feel, you can sense these walls that are coming up. And literally what is happening in that moment is they are manifesting the posture of their heart. I really do not want to hear what you have to say about this. As we journey with God, it is critical that in our interaction with God, what we do is we say, Lord, are there areas of my heart where I'm unwilling to understand? Because here's what happens. An unwillingness to understand perpetuates a lack of understanding and God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. 
It will actually build inside of you self-deception. It will actually create a self-fulfilling prophecy within your life that you set in motion on the things that you are unwilling to hear and unwilling to understand. And it could be anything, you guys. How many of you guys have ever interacted with someone and uh, they're in a relationship and you just knew from the outside looking in, you could look at, at the relationship and you could say, oh man, this does not look right, doesn't feel right, has a lot of bad signals, a lot of bad signs. And you just, because the heart is so deeply invested into that relationship that essentially what has happened is they have hardened themselves to anything that runs counter to what their heart wants. The mind justifies what the heart has chosen. Your mind and my mind and our carnal nature, unsubmitted to God, unconsecrated before God, will always find a brilliant argument. It will find a logical reasoning to justify why we should have the thing that our heart has chosen that it wants to have. And what Jesus is saying here is that when you take that posture, any form of revelation, any form of truth, any form of insight, any form of understanding that runs counter to the thing that you are closing your heart off to, here's what he says, the enemy actually comes and the enemy will steal from you the opportunity to hear that truth. This is what life with God is all about. When we, when we read the scriptures religiously, it's easy to marginalize out the things that the Holy Spirit's really getting after through the word. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, the posture and the condition of your heart as it relates to the hardness of the ground in your heart, everything in the Christian life, everything, your marriage, your ability to manage finances and steward increase in the earth. See, what happens is that we actually set in motion because of God's love. There are certain things that are natural consequences of the hardness of our heart that God is wanting to use to try to tenderize and capture our hearts again. Let's, let's go back and let's just kind of pick some of these things apart here. Going back here to verse four, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Some seed fell along the path. We live in Colorado. A lot of you guys love to go hiking here. If you ever hiked along a path, get that picture in your head because that is the picture that Jesus is communicating. That ground is hard. It is unplowed. It is non-receptive. It is fallow. That, that ground has been beaten upon. In fact, some translations actually pull out that nuance of a path that is well-worn, that is well-trodden on. The more that you walk on that path, the harder that ground gets. Think about the things in your life. Think about the things that God is trying to pinpoint and break into you in your thinking, in your attitude, in the habits and the behaviors of your life and allow the Holy Spirit to show you the paths in your heart that have become well-worn. Those of you guys who have little kids or have animals in the backyard, you can actually begin to see 
the well-worn paths that your dogs run on or that your kids, you know, frequent and the grass begins to die and the ground just becomes very, very hard. There are paths, there are grooves like that in our hearts. As your pastor, I would submit to you, there are paths like that in your heart. And so again, it's easy to say, well, my entire heart is not hard, but are there paths in your heart that have become hard? Are there things, are there areas of your heart that you are completely closed off to? No one can talk to me about my relationship. No one can talk to me about these personality idiosyncrasies. No one can talk to me about the hatred and the animosity that I have towards men because of the abuse that I received when I was younger. No one can talk to me about fill in the blank, whatever that area is in your life. And if we're not careful, watch this, if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll actually use good arguments, good thoughts, and even scripture to create these boundaries along those paths that keep other people from entering in and talking about them. Go with me here for a second. Let's just push pause. Hold your spot there. In Matthew, and I want to I want to dip over here to Ephesians. So the verse that here is just coming to my attention. It's popping up in my head, and I want us to look at verse uh, chapter four. We're gonna look at verse twenty. In fact, let's begin at verse seventeen because twenty really falls into that. Ephesians four verse seventeen. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. In the futility, in the fruitlessness, the meaninglessness, the purposelessness of their thinking. In other words, there is thinking that you can engage with that does not produce the fruit and the life of God. There is thinking that you can engage with. Why must our minds be renewed because of the futility, the fruitlessness of the things that we set our minds upon. They are darkened in their understanding. Now pause, what did Jesus say in his explanation of the parable referring to the hardened soil? He says, this is the person who hears the word and does not understand it. Now, what does Paul say right here? He says, they are darkened in their understanding and they are separated from NIV says this great, right along the lines of our series, they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Guys, that is a verse to just tattoo on the deepest recesses of your heart. I'm gonna read it one more time, just word for word, because we don't just automatically come to a place where we throw our families away. That doesn't just happen. It's erosion. It is a lack of sensitivity that builds up over years. It builds up over time. Every time we cut off the voice of a friend, of a father, of a mother, of a brother, of a sister, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. But every time we bracket those things off because of that hardened path, that well-worn, that well-trodden path in our heart, every time that we do that, no matter the reason that we utilize, you know what's happening? We are moving closer and closer towards a lack of sensitivity. We are deadening the sensitivity of our heart and of our conscience 
One more time, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Do you know that we can actually grow to a place? Remember, the mind justifies what the heart has chosen. Everything in this message and everything about this series is about our hearts coming alive, living in union with God. Your mind can actually become darkened in its understanding. When you begin looking at the cultural landscape around us, we begin thinking about men and women of God who have walked with God for generations. How do you get to a place? How do you come to that conclusion, which is so clearly anti-biblical, which is so clearly devoid of the life and the spirit of God? How do you get there? Because you can become darkened in your understanding. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit and our spirit is the candlestick of the Lord. Many times the scriptures talk about revelation as light. Why is that? Because by nature, your understanding is dark. Your understanding is darkened. When understanding and revelation come, what happens is it brings light into the darkness of our carnal, fallen mindset. On every issue, it doesn't matter what the issue is. We can, again, we can take inventory of the cultural issues of our day from marriage to life in the womb to uh, generational uh, inheritance financially. All, we, can, we, can take land, we can take inventory of every issue. And what you see when you, when you look at the world's posture on those issues is you see a reflection of a darkened understanding. That's what he says. They are darkened in their understanding and they are separated from the life of God. What's the point of this? Why am I making this appeal? Why am I wrestling right now for your hearts? Because to the degree that we close ourselves off and we close our hearts off. Now watch the progression. Hardened heart, darkened understanding. Darkened understanding leads us to a separation from the life of God. Where's the life of God in your life, in your countenance, in your vibrancy, in your hope, in your faith? Where's the life of God in your marriage, in your family, in your children, in your business? Where is the life of God? Where is the fruit and the evidence of Zoe in your life? God's ways produce God's life. They are separated from the life of God. Why? Because of ignorance. Now, again, this goes back to my elementary understanding of Matthew 13. Well, God, it's really not fair that the enemy comes and steals the word just because they don't understand. No, 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 son. Ignorance is perpetuated by unwillingness. We're not talking about an ignorance that comes from a lack of opportunity. We're coming from an ignorance that is solidified at a rejection of opportunity at a refusal to submit ourselves to truth when truth comes. You ever heard somebody say, I don't have a problem with that. You're like, dude, you got a problem. You, it's you, right? It's you right now. I don't, I don't, I don't struggle with that. I don't, see, I don't see a problem with that. I don't see a problem with that. You know what that is? That's called ignorance. Back in the day, we said, you ignorant. I don't know y'all say it anymore, but we used to say, y'all, you ignorant pretty ignorant way to say ignorant, but it still makes. <laughs> that ignorance that is in them due to, again, boom, the hardening of their heart. Where does this all come from? It comes from a hardening of our hearts. 
It comes from a hardening of our hearts. How has your heart become hard? Watch the result of this as we read further. This is crazy. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now that is extreme. Where does it come from? Hardening of the heart. How do we get to where we get? How do you get to the place where you throw off all restraint? How do you get to the place where you live in that constant state of feeding your flesh? How do you do that? And there's some gross wickedness in the world. How do you get there? You get there because of a hardening of the heart. So as we close, how does your heart get hard? A lot of ways, a lot of reasons. Pride. offense. I'm just going to rattle some stuff off and I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit just say, bingo, that's you, son. That's you. You know, being in this game now for for just a little bit longer than the last time, people's hearts get locked up with offense. A root of bitterness is one of the swiftest ways to harden your heart. Violation abuse, betrayal. Things not happening the way that you expect them to happen. Heart gets hard. I expected God to work things out in this manner and they didn't work out in this manner and then our hearts get offended at God. Our hearts get hurt, trust gets broken. And listen, this is why this is so important. And it's scary and it's difficult and it's hard to go there. But listen, your heart is at stake. Your heart is at stake. And if, and if, if the enemy can leverage the seasons and the situations and the moments and the experiences of life, if he can leverage those things to create a hardness of your heart, he is setting something in motion that he knows is gonna affect generations to come. It will steal your influence and he knows that he doesn't even have to get you to engage in gross immoral sin. He can placate your power. He can cause you to become apathetic simply by deadening the sensitivity of your heart, causing you to withdraw and be separated from the life of God due to the ignorance that is in our hearts because of a hardening of our hearts. Where's your heart at today, Antioch? Where's your heart? Intellectualism can harden your heart. Religious intellectualism can harden your heart. Thinking that you know everything can harden your heart. Thinking that you, you know the scriptures, this is the Pharisees, their hearts were hard because of their intellectual approach to the scriptures and their religious pride that can harden your heart. Where's your heart at? A breakup can harden your heart. You know, serving leaders who are not walking in sonship and out of their brokenness somehow wound you or affect you, that can harden your heart. Listen, don't give your destiny over to somebody else's immaturity. Don't give your destiny over to somebody else's woundedness. You know, the thing that set David apart is that in the midst of serving and following a very broken man, he didn't lose his heart. Don't lose your heart. Don't lose your heart. You cannot control what they do, but you can control how you respond. Where's your heart at today?
Busyness, activity can harden your heart. Lack of cultivation, lack of just getting in and allowing the water of God's word to tenderize the soil of your heart. Where's your heart at? Where's your heart at? Distance, time. You know, very simply, just choosing to be indifferent to things can harden your heart. We had a life group leader meeting this past Thursday night and it's amazing. One of the life group leaders, you know, said, I'm just gonna be honest here in this room that my heart hasn't really been connected to the issue of fatherlessness in our city. And I love the fact that this person actually highlighted that because what that did, it was an affront to indifference and passivity. It was an affront. You know what it was? It was a step towards breaking up the fallow ground of one's heart. And if I'll be really honest, there have been things, there have been causes, there have been issues socially that I've just, I didn't care about. Pay attention to the things that you don't care about. Pay attention to the sin cycles that you allow in your life that you're no longer sensitive to or things that you used to do. There were words now that you say that 10 years ago, they, were, they would never leave your mouth. Why is that? Darkening our understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us due to the hardening of our hearts. Habits, vices. Listen, we can, we can, we can, we can dance for hours on the gray areas. Here's, let's just cut through it. The issue is what is God saying? And if God is pointing his finger, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you can quote to me a thousand verses on why you can justify drinking alcohol if God says, son, you need to stop this. Where is your heart? Where is your heart when the father puts his finger on something and he says, son, we need to deal with this. We want life change. We want to be awakened. We want to be equipped. We want to be sent with power and authority to bring transformation. It comes from a heart that is fully alive, sensitive to the voice sensitive to the direction of the Holy Spirit and it will only come from a tender heart. Jonathan, would you mind coming up here? Because I want to give us here for, I just want to give us a few minutes to build an altar. I love what Dan said about building an altar. We create a place for the tangible presence of God to manifest itself here on the earth. And with a word like this, and I want to read this scripture over you as we just spend a few moments. We allow the Holy Spirit to do a little bit of work inside of us because it's interesting that Jesus refers to this particular parable as foundational to all other parables. Why is that? Well, it's simple. Because everything else becomes just data points if our heart is not tender, if our heart is not fertile. David says this in Psalm 139, verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. See, we have to be willing to acknowledge that there might be areas of our heart that are hard that we're not aware of. And if we're not willing to acknowledge that, that in and of itself is an indicator 
that there's hardness in your heart somewhere. You have to be willing to acknowledge that your heart is hard somewhere, someplace. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is an offensive, some translations say, wicked way in me. Guys, let's respond here. And however you want to do this, if you want to come to the front, if you want to just turn around in your seat, get on your knees, or if you just want to posture your heart, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit just minister to us for a few minutes. that you would just come and touch the places where hope has been deferred or even stolen or lost. Oh God, we don't want a hard heart from hope deferred. God, grant us the grace to forgive. Grant us the grace to release. Grant us the grace to tear down our educational and religious altars and idols so that we could have a tender heart. Grant us the grace of examination. Father, where hatred has filled our heart and hardened our soil, God, come pull hatred out of our heart. Siphon, siphon out the toxic poison of hatred. Lord, we have taken an agnostic approach towards you. Lord, in our humanism and our human pride, we have exalted our wisdom above yours. Our hearts have become cold and hard and calloused. We repent today, Father. We repent. Give us a tender heart. Father, where disappointment has entered in, we ask that you would comfort and you would heal. You would tenderize our heart. indifference and passivity complacency have filled our hearts God Father we pray for an awakening awaken our spirits cause our hearts to become sensitive again Father where sin issues have hardened our hearts we repent today we ask that you would put your finger on the sin struggles of our hearts that keep us separated from the life of God, that darken our understanding. We ask for revelation. We ask for light. Enter our hearts.
Father, I ask you today, we ask you as a family of faith, a family of believers, that you would come and that you would plow up the fallow ground of our hearts. You would come and that you would break up the soil on the paths of our hearts that we would hear and that we would understand. I ask that you would give us ears to hear, that it would not be said of us as it was spoken in the book of Isaiah that we're ever hearing, but we are never understanding. I pray that Antioch would be ever hearing and ever increasing in our understanding, that we would be ever seeing and we would be increasing in our perception. We ask for revelation, we ask for light, we ask for truth, we ask for conviction. God, I ask that you would sharpen the blow and the blade of the conviction of your Holy Spirit. We want the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to lose the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just continue to chase our hearts down and that you would help us to work in tandem with you for our hearts to be fertile. We want to bear fruit. We want to produce fruit. We want to bring you glory. We want to bring you life, God, in the earth. So, God, I pray for the hearts of my friends. They will be soft and pliable and tender and teachable and receptive and fertile the truth of your word. In Jesus' name.